This is a production of NTEU Chapter 49. We represent most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name's Larry Landon. I'm a retiree, and I also volunteer to do communications for NTEU Chapter 49. I want to welcome you to the Chapter 49 podcast. We try to do this weekly. We did take a week off last week for Thanksgiving week, and uh, our esteemed President Duncan Giles took a little time off to enjoy Thanksgiving. I hope you did enjoy your time off. Uh, well, I'm sort of thrown off by the term esteemed, but yes, I did enjoy some user lose time. Well, esteemed, and sometimes you are esteemed, but mostly esteemed. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you appear esteemed today. We hope you don't get steamed before this is all over with. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, uh, we've, we took a, a week off, and uh, normally uh, Thanksgiving week is not a, a busy time, but some things have happened, and I want to I want to talk first of all about a development which impacts uh, the toll-free system of which Indiana does and Indianapolis have a toll-free site where we have people working there on the toll-free system. This is the time of year people are in the middle of their training often. And they're training to, uh, to be new people to work on the telephones. But uh, And what we have in the service is something called retention testing. You have to pass certain tests to be retained and move on in your training. There is a problem there. Explain what that problem is this year. Yeah, just because of the pandemic. I mean, coming in from the outside and training to do the phones is a tough job, period. But basically saying, okay, come on in, we're going to give you a laptop and we're going to do all your training remotely is extremely difficult. And we knew that it would be, but the um, rate at which people are falling out is um, not just in Indianapolis, but all over the country is extremely high and very worrisome. And National NTU has heard enough about this that they've wanted a briefing from WNI um, that they will, uh, you know, see what's going on and see what can be done to improve this. Interesting, because I have, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I, you and I both came out of the toll-free system. We, you know, we've taken you've you become chapter president. I've taken on some other jobs, but what I found is that you know when you're in that middle of that retention testing, that is not how can I put that not terribly difficult testing in most cases. But here we have a situation where the whole training system has been uh, turned upside down, where you are now virtual training. Quick story, I, upon my retirement, I went to work one year for TurboTax doing uh, advice, uh, tax advice to people on the phone. They, uh, the way before the pandemic, they had virtual training because people in your training class were usually all over the country. One thing I noticed about Intuit, the company, is that they really took their time, you know. I mean, they knew that virtual training was a different animal. And they tried, excuse me, they tried to give everybody time, including the person doing the instructing, to get used to what's going on, practice, you know, not, not try to hurry along. And I'm, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm not sure the service ha- – is equipped with uh, the way the training is normally done, and let's say the toll-free system, to take the amount of time necessary because virtual training is a whole different animal. Do you think that's part of what's going on here, or what's 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 your view at this point? 
I, I think that's very true. One of the things they're working on for the Taxpayer First Act, we have a new training person overall, um, Dr. Wright, and they are looking at our training to try and make it much better and much more similar to the uh, some of the successful private sector uh, virtual training. So hopefully that will improve, but right now we just don't have anything like that. The last time IRS brought in a group of consultants, professional uh, uh, people to evaluate the training system, what I remember is the first thing they did, Duncan, was take the evaluation of training and take it from one pages to five pages. The idea being, well, we want to get really good detailed data on what people are going through on their training. Of course, you can't require people to, to fill that out. So it got to be such a long, such a lengthy and cumbersome process, people just stopped filling it out. <laughs> and they got zero that's, feedback. That's part of the problem, yep. <laughs> so we, one would hope that uh, the people who are overseeing the training are, are people who have some, some understanding of it. So uh, are we in a position now where some people are just not going to get the opportunity to work for IRS because they're unable to pass this retention training. What, uh, what, what's, what's the word you're getting on this? Um, in Indianapolis, it hasn't been a huge issue yet, but from everything I'm seeing from other sites across the country, it's become very, very big. So yeah, that's, that's definitely harming people's ability to, uh, to stay with the government and we need everybody on the phones we can get. Okay, that's uh, that's item number one. Let's go to the next issue, which I think is 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 is, is pressing. Now we're down to a number of days on this because the current uh, continuing resolution funding the government will be uh, will be go will, will expire on the eleventh of December, which is days away, less than two weeks away from today. There's been a recent development that's just come up in recent days. There's been a, another issue the Congress has been grappling with, and, and that's getting some sort of help, financial help, due to COVID, to business, individuals, so forth. And now the, there's been kind of a Hail Mary pass on, on trying to get this done. So the latest developments I have seen is that the people trying to push this now want to put this together with the continuing resolution or the funding of the government for the rest of the fiscal year, if that can be done as well, either one of those two. And I, I saw the Senate majority leader and minority leader speaking today on this subject of COVID relief. And it's like, they're talking about two different universes. <laughs> one of them said, Oh, I think we're close to an agreement. The other saying, no, we're just close to an agreement. The other side is demanding, no, we're not close to an agreement. So I guess after reading all this and hearing all this, uh, is melding uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 relief economically for individuals and or businesses, molding that into our budget discussion, is that a good or a bad thing for us as federal employees? Uh, the way I look at it, it is very, very harmful. The, the fact being, right now it's tough enough to get an exact agreement on a um, overall omnibus bill where they put in um, everything that they are, um, you know, for the budgets for all the different agencies. And so it's tough enough to do that. Now, once you're throwing in the COVID issue where there's a lot of discussion 
over how much uh, you know money municipalities and states should get, how if there should be any liabilities for um, protections for businesses. You know, if we're if we're throwing in all that as well, it makes it doubly difficult to um, to get any sense that there's going to be an agreement. I have heard in the last day or so that they're again talking about a short-term continuing resolution. How short-term that is, will it go until there's a new administration? We just don't know. But, you know, that may be the best hope that we have um, to make sure that there isn't a shutdown come uh, midnight on December 11th. So we have a lot to be watching out for, and uh, we will try to give you the most recent information if you follow our Facebook page. If you don't follow it or like it, it's you can search for it, NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana. Just you know, go on to Facebook, search for that, NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana, and you can like and follow us, and we'll try to keep you updated through the, the Facebook uh, news feed. Let me talk about something else, because for weeks, maybe even months now, the uh, White House has been saying they were in favor of a 1% pay raise for federal employees in the next calendar year. Uh, now we've seen it about face on that. Uh, the White House has said, okay, we've changed our mind. We want a pay freeze in this current discussion. Of course, that's sort of connected to the whole issue of funding the government. Uh, um, it's really the pay freeze is a, is, is a tough fight. NT is working very hard on Capitol Hill to get a pay raise for next year. But this is not a positive development. Talk about this. Yeah, I would urge anybody listening to this podcast to reach out to your uh, member of the House and your senators to say, hey, look, we deserve a pay raise. It's been a very, very tough year, and we should get a pay raise. And the about face from the administration does not surprise me, and this goes back to, to the issue of if there's an omnibus bill passed or even COVID relief is will the White House sign it? And, you know, it's just, there's just a whole bunch of uncertainty right now in how, um, in how this will work out. Uh, so we're, we're very concerned about that, but we want to try and put as much pressure as we can on the folks in Congress to let them know, to let them hear from their constituents that, you know, we should have pay parity with the military. And that's the other thing that has come out of this is when they're talking about a pay freeze, the administration saying, yes, a pay freeze is needed for the civilian workers, but not for the military. And even though it hasn't always followed into line, the vast majority of years in the past, I would say 20, the majority again of the years have been pay parity between the military and the civilians such as ourselves in a percentage. So, to see that they would get something and we would get nothing is not, A, how it's been, or B, how I believe it should be. Interesting, because I also saw in a, kind of an unrelated matter to us, but I think it's worth uh, considering based on what you've just said, is that there's a huge defense authorization bill that's in the works in Congress, and the president now says he won't sign it unless there is a provision not related to defense at all in it dealing with the regulation of uh, 
uh, social media companies. So, you know, it, getting the president to sign something in this lame duck uh, condition may make it complicated. So we'll watch again. And, and Duncan gives everyone good advice. We have to put pressure on our members of Congress and our senators. Uh, let me move on to something else. Um, there are some programs, um, emergency leave being one of them, that are slated to end at the end of the calendar year. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, things like um, the caregivers or emergency leave to, to COVID are scheduled to end on December 31st. And I've seen some recent things that the caregivers uh, is supposed to go into March now. I'm hoping that all of these things that are due to COVID issues are at least run into the spring, at least give us three more months uh, until there starts to be a vaccine that comes out, until there's um, other things that, you know, we're starting to get to some semblance of normalcy. Because right now, you know, people have kids at home that they're not able to, you know, that they have to care for so they're not able to concentrate on their work. Or they've got, you know, COVID themselves or they're taking care of somebody with COVID. So we need to have these flexibilities past the December 31st date so that, you know, th this can be happening. It, it's just, there's so many things right now that are ending COVID related, ending at December 31st, because the vast majority of folks in Congress, when they passed this, didn't think it would still be an issue. And I, you know, I understand where the mindset is, but it is still a huge issue. It's an issue now more than it's ever been. If you take a look at the numbers, and so Congress is going to have to act, and that's part of that relief, I would think, the COVID relief, that they're going to have to extend some of these programs, including things like, you know, for unemployment for folks and, uh, you know, business loans, things of that nature. They're going to have to because COVID's going to be here through the winter. So we don't have a choice on that. So we need to make sure we can do everything we can for federal employees and ourselves as, you know, taxpayers and citizens of the U.S., that these programs need to be extended. One thing that uh, NTU and other uh, employee organizations have been uh, uh, fighting over the administration, the Trump administration, on are the executive orders dealing with federal employees. And where there have been court battles, administrative uh, law battles, um, I know we talked to President Reardon about this a few weeks ago, and, and he seemed very optimistic that some of these executive orders that were issued during the Trump administration would be rescinded and new orders issued as, a, as soon as the inauguration day or very soon after that uh, to change the landscape uh, that uh, governs the relationship between federal employee unions like NTEU and the agencies uh, where their employees work. So um, what are you hearing on that scene? I'm, I'm hearing the same thing. These, these executive orders were not just very anti-union, but they were very, very, very much anti-employee. And they were basically everything that the civil service is not. The civil service was set up because there was cronyism, because there was protectionism, things of that nature, 
So it was a system that was set up to make sure things were run as objectively as possible, as fairly as possible, and to deal with issues. And while it's certainly not perfect, and nobody is saying it is, it's a much better system than it would be where some of these executive orders were coming in and basically stripping the rights of unions to represent employees or employees to have rights, period. And it's, it was just extremely, extremely harmful. And if the president had been reelected, we would be having a pitched battle for four more years to try and protect the jobs of every employee. And when I say that, it's almost like they could come in and some of these were going in the way it was going was trying to turn the federal employment into almost at-will employees where you could be fired at any time without representation, without help. And that was just, that's the direction it was headed. And we were hell-bent to make sure that, you know, our, our great legal department was, you know, fighting this every chance we got. We were talking to members of Congress to see what we could do there. But as President Reardon alluded to in his last podcast with us, you know, he has gotten assurances from President-elect Biden himself, who's always been very pro-employee, that, you know, they were going to rescind these orders and put different ones in place that are going to be much more favorable to employees to make sure that things are done correctly. Is there any particular order or group of orders that uh, need uh, immediate attention upon the uh, assumption of power by the new administration? Oh, I would say all of them. Um, (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Right now, basically anything that deals with federal employment, whether it's coming from, you know, trying to strip unions of their power to represent employees, shortening probationary period or lengthening probationary periods, excuse me, to the Schedule F where they wanted to burrow in uh, employees, uh, political appointees, which would go back to the boss tweed days of New York City in the 1800s. These are all very bad. And the, the incoming administration has a, is very on top of this. From everything I've heard, everything I've read, they're very on top of this and they know which ones need to be rescinded and they are eager to do so. Let's move on to another issue you and I have talked about a number of times. As we have said, the uh, Social Security withholding was uh, was stopped, I think, right around the, the final quarter of this year. And uh, that is still happening. Now, unless some law is passed to change this next year, um, people who work for IRS, who had no choice in the matter, will be required to pay that Social Security tax back that was not withheld during the final quarter of this year. And I know NTEU has been asking IRS, which only, what, administers the tax law in America, (laughs) to uh, ask what's going to happen to its own employees. And the answer has been, up to now, we don't know. And this is the IRS telling their own union of their own employees they don't know, which would mean nobody knows. Now, the guess is that there will be with extra withholding over a period of weeks next year, but there's no guarantee that it'll work out that way. It could be a lump sum payment. We just don't know. Uh, has 
Has IRS given any inclination what its own attorneys are going to figure out how to handle this? That's the amazing thing, and the reason I wanted to touch on it this week is we're sitting here, it was supposed to be a three-month tax holiday. Well, here we are in the third, starting the third month of this, quote, tax holiday, um, that they would, um, you know, be able to do this, and there's still, still no word on how the repayment plan is going to be done. It's just absolutely astounding to me that you do this and then not tell employees if it is going to be, like you said, next year. And again, if there is a raise, your Social Security is going to be different. If your health insurance, which we'll touch on in a minute, is a little bit different, you know, because ours is taken out pre-tax, so your Social Security is going to be different there. You know, is there going to be more taken out than was deferred? Will there be less? What about people who have retired, who have left federal government? You know, there are so many different questions that it absolutely astounds me to have no answer. But I just wanted to make sure that everybody knows right now there still is no answer on this. Which is just amazing to me. Of course, this law was was uh, was enacted in a kind of haphazard way, and most of the private sector has not gone along with this. Uh, being an, uh, uh, an agency of, 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 the, of the, uh, the administration, being an executive agency, IRS takes its orders, you know, from the uh, executive department of government. Therefore, you know, if the order is you will abide by this, you will abide by this. Uh, so, per, you know, I mean, and again, the people who are going to have to make this decision are the people who do for all tax matters. Uh, they're gonna, it's going to come from the IRS Office of Chief Counsel. The attorneys are going to have to write up some kind of guidance, regulation, the guidance in some form to instruct uh, the payroll people on how to do this. And I find it amazing that we are already almost through this no withholding period on Social Security and still no idea when and how it's going to be paid back. So the bottom line is uh, we know now about the same amount we knew when this all was implemented. And it's uh, sad to say that. It's, it's absolutely astounding that there's not more details here. I, just, I keep using that word, but I'm just, I'm really blown away by the fact that they've not come up with something on this. Let me talk, we're on a couple of health matters. Health matter number one is that uh, we're hearing all about the vaccine. Now, there's more than one vaccine out there. We don't know if one or more will be approved, if one is approved, I would assume the people who work in the healthcare industry, nursing home residents, you know, old geezers like myself, will end up uh, getting the vaccine first. But there will be a point in time in the next few months when the question will be asked, will the IRS get involved in uh, administering vaccines for its own employees to get their own employees back to work. This this question has been presented, I know, to you a couple of different ways. Number one, when will the vaccine be available? Will IRS uh, vouch for us to get it to us so we can get back into the office to work? Second one is, will IRS require us as employees to be vaccinated? What if we don't want to be vaccinated? What happens then? And once again, Duncan, we have no indication either way, do we? No, we do not. I have heard 
uh, nothing either on either direction. Uh, the questions I've been getting so far mostly have been, is the IRS going to require me to be vaccinated? And we've heard nothing on this. On the IRS doing something for its employees to help administer the vaccination, my big inclination would be to say no because they've shown that they don't want to do anything COVID-related in checking employees' temperatures to make sure that they're safe coming into the work site, that sort of thing. So for them to be able to sit there and say, okay, we're going to take responsibility to make sure that we assist employees do get vaccinated, um, that I, I just, I can't see that one. Now, will they maybe assist in, you know, finding out where places are that you, that you can get a quick vaccination or how that'll work? Who knows? but I don't see IRS administering it. And I have not heard word one about IRS requiring it. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think the real question is number one, will it be required? And if so, under our conditions, we don't know. And I, NTU will be involved in that to the extent the law allows us to get involved in as a, as an institution. And the other one is, will IRS advocate for employees to get the vaccine to them so that they can get into work and start working in the office, maybe working in the field in some situations. So, I mean, there are just a ton of questions and no answers. Would that be the accurate way to describe this? Yeah, because where you hear from most of these vaccines, they have to be um, held at either a very cold temperature or an extremely cold temperature. And I don't think um, just about anybody in the federal government, much less the IRS, has the capability of doing that on any sort of scale whatsoever. Okay. Uh, one other health issue, uh, health insurance open season is ending soon. A reminder, perhaps, that there are there's some help available to members of NTEU on this. Yeah, the consumer checkbook on NTEU is a great tool to use, and you want to shop and be very careful. Um, you know, a couple of plans that I've checked out have said that self plus family is cheaper than self plus one if it's just the two of you so you really want to check do your due diligence on these different plans figure out uh the medical professionals that you see what plans that they um are honoring at their particular practice uh that they would be in network for and make the best decision you can for your family because that may be the only money that you're saving that you're going to be able to give yourself a raise this year. So you want to check that and do what's best for you and your family. So once again, that, and what's the date? What's the end date? I'm, I'm trying to remember. What, uh, December the 7th, I believe. Okay, so we're coming up on the deadline pretty quickly here. So if you want to make a change in your health insurance, you have a few days left to do that. One last uh, corollary on health. You know, Duncan, those of us in Indiana, I see the, the Governor Holcomb had a, a press conference yesterday. He just recently came off quarantine himself. Uh, we're setting records, I think, per capita, as far as uh, hospitals, uh, people being in the hospital. Indiana is the per capita second highest in the nation, right behind South Dakota on a per capita basis. Which is yeah, I saw that today. I saw that today as too. We're number two. We're number two. Yeah. No, we want to be number freaking fifty. No, that's that's this is a bad <laughs> this is a bad uh, <laughs> statistic. Uh, so I think the the bottom line here is that every bit of evidence I have seen 
And I read, I read about this a lot. I write a local news blog where I live here in Fishers, and I'm looking at everything I can find. Most all of the health experts in this state, and also in other states, but particularly here in Indiana, uh, people are, uh, who are experts are saying the spread now is coming not from large groupings of people, because they have pretty much not happened lately. Where it's happening is within your home, it's within your social area, it's within social gatherings, family gatherings, that kind of thing. So I think if there is a message, we we just have to realize we're going to have to give up some, and we're all social animals, we love to be together, especially our families, but maybe, just maybe, we need to think hard and long as we go into Christmas season, the safest thing to do. It's, it's a decision everybody has to make and groups, families, groups, and individuals have to make on their own. But I just hope you all take everything into consideration as you decide what to do for the holidays. What do you have to say, Duncan? Yeah, anything that's outside your pod is a very, very calculated risk and could be pretty bad. You know, I'm on my own, and I had an invitation from some friends of mine in Minnesota, and they're like, we'd love to have you come up. And I was like, I would any other year. I would love to be there with you guys and your family, but I don't think it'd be good for you. I don't think it'd be good for me. And it's just not something that's smart to do in this atmosphere during this pandemic. And that's, that's what I would advise everybody. We all want to see distant relatives. We all want to have that big get together, you know, Thanksgiving, you know, Christmas coming up. You know, they're, they're really looking now, it's like they're scared to death. Medical professionals and infectious disease folks are scared to death about what's going to be coming up in the next week to 10 days after Thanksgiving now. You know, are we going to start to see a huge surge from people who went outside of their pot? So we just need to be careful. You just need to, we still need to be, you know, wait a little longer be very respectful of this pandemic because it's still very strong out there. It's a pain in the butt to social distance, to wear a mask, to continually wash your hands, to use sanitizer. But you just, um, you got to, you've got to be safe because we don't want to take the chance of getting somebody hurt. And that's the thing too, where people go, well, it's not killing that many more people. A, yes, it is. B, the damage goes far beyond uh, fatalities because there are so many other different conditions that you could end up with because of this that is just not worth the risk. All right. On that note, be careful, be safe. We want you back around to listen to our next podcast, which we hope will be next week. Duncan Giles, any, uh, any other parting uh, thoughts before we wrap this up? No, I just, I just want everybody to have a good and safe start to your holiday season. I hope everybody just stays safe. I mean, that's that's the main thing right now. I know a lot of us want to be back in the office. You want to be back in the office. Sometimes the walls of your house seem to be closing in. But right now, let's, let's be safe. You just heard Duncan Giles. He's the president, NTEU Chapter 49. We represent most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name's Larry Lannon, a retiree and a communications volunteer for Chapter 49. So we thank you very much for listening to this podcast. We plan to be back next week. In the meantime, be kind and be safe.